Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the United States Sports Show Football Edition. Uh, my name is Joe Marcellino. I'm joined once again by Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing great, Joe. A little tired after all the football this weekend, <laughs> but uh, but it's a good tired, as they say, though. I know. We, we both had pretty, uh, pretty busy weekends, uh, taking in uh, a couple games um, Friday and Saturday. Thank God for Friday. Friday night footballs, playoff football, uh, in in fantastic weather. Um, oh, well, the just, weather was awesome. Yeah, yeah. What a what a great weekend and and uh, I, you know I think from this coming Friday not going to be quite as warm but it looks just as as nice. Uh, you know maybe maybe not in the seventies but close. But anyway, yeah, we'll take it. Yeah, of course. Uh, of course, you can always send uh, your questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail Give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at NHHS Sports. You can listen to the show Tuesday mornings throughout the football season at nh-highschoolsports.com. And before we get started, let's take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. The presenting sponsor for the Ninth State Sports Show is Roger Howe of the Bean Group. The real estate market is cool, just like the New England fall weather. Interest rates have risen dramatically the last few months, and there could be more increases in the future. Many experts say we may never return to those historical low rates we've had over the last few years. Now is traditionally a slow time in real estate heading into the holidays and winter. It's time to plan ahead for 2023. Take the time now to contact with Roger Howe from The Bean Group. Whether you are a buyer or a seller, let Roger's many years of experience guide you with a plan on what your next step should be when the market heats back up after the first of the year. He knows your local market. Contact Roger at 800 450 7784 or 603-247-1583 or email him at roger.howe at beangroup.com. Well, uh, before we get um, into the games in depth, uh, Mike, I'm, I wanted to uh, run down the scores and, and the, the schedules uh, for this coming week so far as we know them. Um, let's start with uh, with Division One. Of course, there were three Friday night games this past week, the one you and I were at, we saw uh, Merrimack get a 14-6 win over Portsmouth Oyster River. Uh, Friday night also saw Pinkerton winning uh, 35-20 over Spalding. Timberlane getting a 20-14 win over Concord. And then on Saturday, Bishop Girton beat Dover 42-14. And uh, Bedford, the, the lone uh, road team to win in Division One, getting a 28-0 win over Wyndham. So that sets up uh, quarterfinals for this week. Uh, we'll again have Friday night games in Division One, uh, with uh, Nashua North hosting Bedford Friday at 6.30 at Stello Stadium, and uh, Bishop Girton going to Pinkerton for a 7 o'clock kickoff uh, over in Derry on Friday. And then Saturday, uh, as of right now, haven't seen any changes to either of those games. Uh, you got Merrimack going to Londonderry for a 1 p.m. kickoff. Timberline going to Exeter, also uh, set to kickoff at 1 as of uh as of now, um, of course, keep uh, keep an eye on your your team's uh, websites and, and social medias to see if those change at all. Uh, but as of right now, those two Saturday games are still scheduled for one. In Division Two, uh, Mike, you got to see uh, what Sauhegan beat Kennett forty nine to seven. Yep. In in uh, one of the closer games uh, of Division Two, I, I might say, just because the visiting team scored. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, not not exciting games in any of those four. Uh, Guilford Belmont, the top seed, uh, gets a twenty-four nothing win over St. Thomas. 
Pelham puts up 63 points on on Plymouth, wins that game 63 to 14, and Bo shut out Hanover 32 to nothing. Uh, so those four teams will play in the semifinals as of now, all scheduled for Saturday. You've got Sauhegan going to play at Guilford Belmont uh, right now, scheduled for a one o'clock kickoff, and Bo going to play at Pelham also one o'clock on Saturday. In Division Three, uh, Campbell gets a 37 to 14 win over Monadnock. Uh, the only other road team um, to win this past weekend in the playoffs and uh, uh, avenging that regular season loss to the Huskies. Uh, in the other game, you had Trinity beating Interlakes Moultonboro 38-14. to excuse me. And uh, so Campbell and Trinity will meet in the championship game uh, scheduled for this coming Saturday uh, at Sauhegan High School, and I believe that's going to be a 1 o'clock kickoff now as well. Um, that one hadn't had a time up until I think a little while ago, but looks like one o'clock for Campbell and Trinity in Amherst, and then in Division Four, uh, Summersworth all over Raymond, fifty-six to seven, and then Newport with a thirty-five fourteen win over Bishop Brady. So Newport and Summersworth will meet in the Division Four championship game on Saturday, also kicking off at one o'clock, uh, and that game is scheduled to be played at a Laconia High School. All right. Uh, Mike, you want to start with uh, with the game that we were both at Friday, uh, that uh, that Merrimack win over Portsmouth Oyster River. Uh, Merrimack getting a fourteen to six win in that one. Uh, what were your? Yeah, sounds your, like a good place to start. Yeah, what were your kind of initial thoughts on that game? Well, I thought it was, you know, I I thought it was it was a good game. It was certainly a defensive battle. Um, you know, I think we were commenting about how uh, how the game ebbed and flowed interestingly. You know, I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was nothing-nothing at half. Right, scoreless at half. Neither time. offense was really able to get anything going. You know, Merrimack had sort of a few untimely penalties that, that stalled a few promising drives. Uh, and then Portsmouth just didn't really get a rhythm going offensively. And then all of a sudden in the second half, there were some quick scoring exchanges. And, you know, we looked at each other and said – oh, wow, suddenly offense appears, right? And then all of a sudden, it was lockdown time again uh, for both defenses. So it was it was definitely an up-and-down game in terms of the rhythm and flow, but it was an entertaining game, a hard-hitting game. I, I thought there was a lot of good in it. Yeah, I had forgot uh, until I went back and was, was looking through you know the drives um, that Merrimack had actually uh, had a touchdown called back on the opening drive of the game uh, because of a holding call and then, of course, missed a field goal. Um, you know, to keep it scoreless. But, yeah, outside of that opening drive in the first half, there was – it was all defense. I, I mean, Portsmouth didn't have a first down – had one first down uh, on a penalty in that opening half. Uh, you know, Merrimack moved the ball a little bit more after that opening drive, but not nearly as well. Uh, you know, and, and, and Portsmouth uh, coach Brian Pafford said after the game, um, you know, the, you know they, they wa- had watched plenty of film on Merrimack. They hadn't seen him live, though. They got off the bus and were surprised at how big Merrimack was, uh, and and certainly it took some time uh, to make adjustments. It, it, at halftime, they um, they made some switches on their blocking schemes to try to free up some things. Uh, they started playing with two running backs in the backfield a little bit more frequently, just to get an extra body in there to to, to block. Uh, you know, so that kind of got their offense going a little bit too. But they had, you know, some some. Uh, injuries as well both going into and during the game you know they lose their quarterback um, you know Aiden Thomas at the end of the first quarter uh, looked like he got a concussion 
Uh, Evan Graham comes in to replace him, who, you know, Graham had played a game, you know, during the season, but, I mean, anytime the backup quarterback's coming into a playoff game, that's a, a tough spot to be in. So it took him a little while to get going. Um, you know, they unfortunately lose uh, one of their, their key defensive guys in Charlie Turner in the second half after he got a, a personal foul and, and was ejected uh, for throwing a punch. Um, you know, and then they had uh, their top two running backs, uh, Gunnar Jackson and Cole McLaughlin, get banged up at various points and, and have to come out. So it was, it was, yeah, just a rough night, I think, all around for, for uh, the Clipper Cats. Yeah, if you think about how close the score was and you think about losing some of those guys at various points, you think especially Thomas, right? I mean, yeah. he, he I, I hope he's okay. I mean, I, I know he had one of those incidents, I think, where actually a helmet came off. Yeah, right, right. I think he got his helmet knocked off at one point. And, um, you know, I don't think he was down for very long, but he, he came off the field and went immediately to the trainer if I remember correctly. And then, yeah, he was out for the rest of the game, which sort of necessitated Graham stepping back in. Um, I thought Graham played well, but, you know, that's tough, right? You, you, you could tell a little bit, you know, we were talking during the game, you could tell a little bit that, you know, it was likely that, that he hadn't taken a bunch of first-team reps this week because he made some good throws and he made some good decisions, you know, cognitively, right, where he wanted to go with the ball and, and such. But he was just sometimes a few steps out of rhythm with one of his receivers or, you know, the ball was just a little bit too high or a little bit too low on some of his pass attempts. I think you still had him throwing for, uh, for 86 yards, 10 of 17. That's not a bad stat line. Uh, he ran for another 62 yards. Um, so he ended up coming in and playing pretty well, all things considered. Uh, but that is a tough spot to put, to put a guy in, especially, you know, again, this time of the season, you know, that, you know, that the backup QB is not getting, you know, a whole ton of reps during the week with the, with the ones. Um, but I, I do agree that Portsmouth Oyster River made some good adjustments after halftime, particularly in the running game, right? They went with a little bit more of a power look. Um, I forget which one of the backs is, is 41. Is that, um, that's Jackson. That's Jackson, right? I mean, he's a big kid. Talk about Merrimack being big and they are a a, a good sized football team, but for, for a, a running back, you know, he, he looks like he could be a guard, but he's but he's he's a good back, right? I mean, he carries the ball hard downhill, but he was also really good in the blocking scheme of things. You know, they'd put him sort of like in an H-back or a wing-type position at times and use him to, to kick out or to, to set an edge or be an extra pass protector, and he ended up being a really good player, too. It was, uh, I, thought, I thought that both teams made good halftime adjustments. I thought the one thing that surprised me a little bit, especially after last week's performance, was that Merrimack wasn't really able to get um, their running game on track. Right. I don't know what the final stats were for um, for uh, Mellow Hyde, but it didn't seem like he had nearly as good a night as he had. Uh, well, I mean, you know, who would have, obviously. <laughs> he had a breakout, yeah, massive yeah. night last week, but... Uh, seemed like Portsmouth did a really good job on him. I think he probably had less than 100 yards. Yeah, I had him at 22 carries, 83 yards. Uh, Garen Brown had a, a big night with six carries for 48 yards, Had also had two interceptions on defense. Um, but, you know, the two of them combined, or for as a team, I had Merrimack with 130 yards on the ground. Uh, so, yeah, far, far cry from where they were a week ago against Bedford. But, uh, you know, in all fairness, too, they were also trying to hurry up uh, and keep Bedford, you know, kind of on its heels in that game, and 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 you didn't really see 
as much of the hurry up against Portsmouth uh, this week. Right. And uh, you're also talking about a Portsmouth defense that did really, really good work against uh, Timberland's ground game yeah. one week ago. Yeah, um, I, I, so I, you know, so I guess that's probably shame on me for thinking maybe Merrimack would go out there and just be able to pound it at them again. Um, Timberland's running offense is as good as any in the state, and you know, you take you take that one week ago performance against against them, and you know, I should, maybe I should have expected a little bit different. You know, you mentioned um, you know for Merrimack the the you know a lot of the stuff in the first half um, kind of shooting themselves in the foot. They they did have a lot of penalties in that first half. I had them for for. Um, six penalties uh 40 for 45 yards in that first half and again like i said one of them negated a touchdown and uh and turnovers have been a, a problem for them at times too but they were able to overcome them this week you know you had trent jackson had a nice day passing 19 to 29 for 166 yards and a touchdown but he threw two interceptions they also lost a fumble uh, inside the, the portsmouth 10 late in the game that would have put it away you know if they go in and score there uh, instead, you know, Portsmouth starts driving the other way. Um, you know, just didn't have enough to get uh, to get it done there. They ended up, uh, I think, turning over on downs um, inside the Merrimack forty. Um, you know, so I, it's it, the Tomahawks come out with a win, but there was a lot of things that you've seen them do this year. Um, they just managed to to overcome them this past week. Yeah, I I think I had made a comment to you at one point. I said. From from a Merrimack standpoint, this is a lot harder than it needs to be. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think you know it, it, it felt good. like, yeah, you know, it felt it felt like if you were just watching sort of play to play and not tracking the rhythm of the game, it felt like Merrimack was the better football team. Meaning, you know, just sort of pound for pound uh, in terms of of the you know the the ability of the players and so on and so forth. But Portsmouth found ways to hang around, which I think is a credit to them. Uh, and, and Merrimack found ways to keep it interesting, which I think, um, you know, as, as you reviewed at the beginning of the show, uh, knowing who they're going up against as a as a visiting team heading into Londonderry next week, uh, that's got to be your emphasis this week. I mean, you, you've got to be preaching, hey, look, guys, you know, we're a really, really good football team that's prone to, you know, making mistakes or, or you know, kind of cutting our legs out from under us. Uh, at, at, at sometimes at, at rough times, right? Like you said, turnover inside the ten, or a you know a penalty that negated a touchdown. I mean, those are huge. That that could have been. That's another potentially fourteen points that they left on the board. Yeah, right. Um, and you can't do that. You can't leave one point on the board against Londonderry. So I, I think Merrimack is a very very good football team. That if they can clean up some of those. Um, you know, sort of mental type mistakes that they that they make on offense at times, um, they're going to be dangerous. I, I really do think that. I think if you if you look at what they did to Bedford, I don't think that was a fluke. Uh, I just think that they played a really good game and they're capable of doing that. Uh, the question will be, you know, which Merrimack team shows up. Right. Yeah. And Londonderry is a team that'll that'll feast off those turnovers too. Um, you know, it, 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 any of those kind of miscues. Um, that that spells bad news. And I was just trying to go back and look here too. Um, you know, Londonderry and Merrimack haven't played, if I got this right, uh, since 2017, I think. Um, oh wow! Which doesn't seem right. And that's right. a great I, matchup I too, because it is one of those old rivalries. You know, going back to the old days when they were both in Division Two in the in the 80s, and they played in the championship game against each other a couple times, and it, it was it's just a 
it, it's funny when I think about Merrimack rivalries, Run, Londonderry is actually one of the teams that is at the top of my list, even though they haven't played much um, in recent history. Yeah, I'm going to go back and, and amend my statement there. Actually, maybe I'll just edit this part out of the podcast. Uh, they actually played. Last, <laughs> they played last year. I forgot to look at last. Oh, there year's you go. Goal. Yeah. Um, and Londonderry won that the actually their season opener last year, thirty-five to six uh, over Merrimack. Um, so, yeah. And then the previous time they played was twenty seventeen. So um, didn't play this year. Um, that game uh, again scheduled for Saturday at one at Londonderry. Um, so uh, so the other game that I saw this past weekend uh, really had a, a, a bizarre start to it. I don't know if you were able to follow along on, on, on Twitter there. I tried to tweet it out as soon as I could, but uh, it, it was a fast start, but an odd one where, you know, Dover, uh, BG wins the toss against Dover. They choose to receive the ball. Teams line up, and Dover, I, I uh, their coach Eric Kumba said afterwards that it was an onside kick, but it was hard to tell in the time. Like at the moment, you know, I, it looked like it was just a squib kick that hit off a BG player, and then Dover recovered it. So, you know, right away, right off the bat, uh, huge, huge positive play for the Green Wave. You know, they get the ball at BG's 43, and, uh, you know, okay, maybe maybe they don't score, but maybe they build a little momentum. Maybe something interesting happens, and then uh, second play from scrimmage, the snap goes about 10 feet over uh, quarterback Ryder Aubin's head and just continues rolling into Dover territory. Uh, Jacob Baker ended up recovering it for BG, at uh, at Dover's 36, so uh, a massive swing in momentum, field position, anything you want to yeah. say there, and uh, and then BG was kind of off and rolling from there. They they score on uh, their first four possessions, go up 28 nothing. Their defense makes two stops in the first or in the second quarter uh, inside its own 20 uh, yard line. Um, you know it's 28 nothing at halftime. Dover is able to come out and get a couple touchdowns on the board in the second half, but BG answers both of them and uh, and gets that 42-14 win. Um, it just uh, it it was one of those. It's like it, it Dover just couldn't come up with the big plays on defense in the first half when they needed them to to get BG off the field, and then you know BG was kind of bend but don't break defense in the first half to to get comfortable and then. You know, it was, um, and I'm sure you saw a little bit of this too, especially, you know, with, with teams that have, uh, you know, what's I'm assuming Sauhegan was wearing their black jerseys uh, this past weekend. Uh, yeah. BG had on its dark jerseys as well, uh, the dark green ones. Um, you know, you could see a little bit of fatigue setting in in some places, uh, uh, you know, as that game wore on. You know, uh, not that it was, you know, summertime heat or anything, but certainly hotter than it has been. Um, you know, for a couple of weeks. And I think that's, that had a factor in as well in the second half of this game. Yeah, no, I mean, when you're, when you're, you're scheduling your conditioning time for, for the week's practices uh, in November, you're not planning for 71 degree weather. Uh, now, you, you know, so, and, 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 you know, it, to be fair, you know, you, your body just gets acclimated. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I always I, I think it's interesting when we have these little heat waves that happen late in the season. You get to see a little bit of, of you know, how conditioning may come into play and things like that with teams. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting, too. You, you, I was following that as much as I could. 
um, on Twitter, and I saw I saw that you had you had sort of cataloged what happened at the beginning of the game, and, and I made a mental note to, to to say on on this podcast that. Dolores actually struggled a little bit with that center quarterback exchange with the shotgun snap this year. Yeah, um, I remember talking about it going as far back as the the Central Dover game, uh, where I think they had they had a couple of exchanges that were that were dicey. You know, not 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 way over the quarterback's head, but you know things that sort of weren't you know right in line. You're used to seeing those snaps be pretty automatic. You know, hitting the quarterback right in the hands or maybe shoulder to shoulder sort of thing if it's if it's a little off but there were a couple of times where it affected the play considerably um and i remember i remember mentioning it i think back then um when we were talking about that game so you know that that's kind of interesting right it's it's something where it it it's almost got to be an automatic if you're going to run a, a full-time shotgun offense, obviously. I mean, that's about as obvious as it's just like saying, Hey, you're going to get that under center snap. If you're going to be under center a lot. I mean, duh, right. Of course. But, um, so that kind of surprises me, you know, that, that, um, because that's a, that's a huge play, obviously right there at the beginning of the game, you have a massive opportunity to make a statement. Um, and, and it goes awry right there. And that was one of two that they had in the first half too. One of one of those drives that they where they got it deep into BG territory. Uh, part of the the reason it got pushed back was because another snap went over Aubin's head, and uh, he was able to recover that one though uh, to keep their drive alive. But ended up not getting anything on that drive. Um, Want to mention too, uh, Matt Sanaswaso with another huge game for BG. Uh, I had him with 190 yards and two touchdowns rushing. Also, seven of nine passing for 117 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, that included going six of six in the first half. Um, huge day for him. And also, uh, probably a, a really uh, encouraging sign for BG, uh, Charlie Belavance back uh, on both sides of the ball. He played on defense in the regular season finale against Keene, was back at running back for a little bit. Uh, again, this game had 10 carries, 51 yards, and two touchdowns. So uh, pretty encouraging to see him back. Uh, they're getting a little bit healthier in some other spots too. Um, so bodes well for what should be a real challenge for them this week, having to go to Pinkerton uh, and, and play the Astros uh, again Friday night. That's a 7 o'clock kickoff. Uh, Pinkerton, of course, got a win over, over Spalding uh, in a game that the score may be, may be a little bit closer than, than the game itself was. I, 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 I'm from what I've been able to read um 35 20 win for pinkerton um you know and then uh, like we said the other the other game you know i that's the other thing we talked about it shows shows what we know you know going into these games we talked about how you know we wouldn't have been surprised to see some upsets and we wouldn't be surprised to see some close games and i think we had what two uh two games where the road team won in in all of the all four divisions and uh, in two games that were decided by uh, a touchdown or less. So, yeah, <laughs> so much for that. Um, yeah, just like we drew it up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, the other going back to what we were talking about, too, with the with the weather on Saturday. Uh, and I, I thought about this when I started I started watching, um, you know, the Bedford Wyndham game this morning. Um, you know, of course, uh, Friday Night Lights media was there. Uh, they got video of that game. You can go check that out on YouTube. Uh, but I remember it made me think back to the season opener at Wyndham, where uh, where Wyndham came out. Uh, you know, it's a the first Saturday in September. It's hot. It's humid. They came out in their their white jerseys for that game, and they made Pinkerton wear the dark jerseys. 
And yes. I think that had an effect on Pinkerton in the second half of that game. This game, uh, Wyndham comes out in their dark blue jerseys. Bedford's in the whites. Again, it 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 probably had some effect. It's not you know the whole reason they lost the game. I mean, they you know it was twenty eight to nothing. Um, but you know that's a as you're getting fatigued, that's a mental factor as well. Like you're not just getting physically tired, but I think mentally that weighs on you too. So I mean, that was I was kind of I was kind of um, I was surprised by that maybe. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because I, I do have kind of a, 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 you know, every once in a while I like to throw the, you know, back in my day story. And, um, but uh, I remember my second year as head coach at Sauhegan, we were playing Hollis Brookline, which was a team I had, I had been an assistant coach at for, for six years or so. I, I can't remember exactly how long it was. Um, and we went over there on a Saturday afternoon you know, and it was really hot. Like, you know, it was it was like the third week of September, I think. Um, and it was a really hot, you know, clear blue sky. You know, not even a cloud is going to save you sort of day. Right. And I remember, you know, kind of being in the locker room area and, you know, they're getting dressed across the hall and we're getting dressed in our area. And I ran into an assistant coach that I know really well. And we were just sort of shooting the breeze before we went out for warm-ups and we were talking about the weather a little bit, and I had said, you know, we were all smiles and joking around, and I had said, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm just really glad we're not at home today wearing our blacks, you know. And, and he just sort of mumbled and shook my hand and walked away. And I was like, huh, that was an interesting way to end the conversation. <laughs> and then I remember going out on the field for warm-ups, and uh, Hollis Brookline had decided to wear their, their sort of black color rush jerseys that day. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's why he didn't want to talk to me when I said that. And we ended up winning that game. I, I forget what it was, maybe twenty-four to six or something. Uh, but but again, same idea, right? Even if it even if it doesn't have that an actual significant physical effect, you know, everybody kind of knows the darker colors are hotter. I, you wonder sometimes whether it's psychological. You really do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you know, in that game though, I you know, just looking over some of the offensive numbers for Bedford, um, you know, the one that stands out: Logan Sphere, hundred nine yards on the ground with a touchdown. Uh, Ledger Russell and, and Sam Sargento also with rushing touchdowns in that game. Uh, but, I mean, if you're going to say it was anything, it was Bedford's defense that led the way in that one, like it has been for, for a lot of this season. They bounced back from that loss to Merrimack with a shutout. Uh, I think they forced, um, I want to say it was three turnovers, or maybe four, yeah, I think four turnovers uh, from Wyndham. You know, so, um, you know, in, in a tough, a tough uh, way to go out for the Jaguars. You know, they, they were certainly one of the, the feel-good stories of this season. Um, you know, I don't know too many people outside of that program, and, and maybe even there were some, some inside the program that were kind of surprised at what they were able to do this year. But certainly going 6-3 uh, and three and getting into the playoffs uh, for the first time in Division One is a, a huge building block for, for Jack Byrne and, and that program over there. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I mean, it, it was really a great turnaround season for them. They hosted a playoff game. Um, you know, they, they, they were exciting to watch from what I did see of them this year. As you mentioned um, Friday Night Lights, New Hampshire, covering some of these games. By the way, they do a great job. I, I'm yeah. so happy that they're out there doing what they do because it gives, it gives me a chance. It gives you a chance <laughs> to watch some of these games that we don't get to go to live. Um, and, and so I had had a chance to see them a little bit. You know, I, I, I do have to give a ton of credit, though, to, to Zach Matthews, his defensive staff, um, and the Bedford defense because – you know, again, kind of a, I don't know, kind of, kind of a 
a wake up point, I guess, with what happened with Merrimack a couple weeks ago. You yeah. know, you had been a, a a really well respected and rightfully so defensive unit for the entire season. You go out and you give up 300 plus yards to one kid. Uh, a lot of that on the ground. You know that that could have been a breaking point in terms of confidence. Uh, you know, a, a panic point for coaching staff sometimes to say, "Oh my God, you know, what do we need to change? We need to change this. We need to change that. We need to put this kid in here and you know, go to an odd front instead of an even front. You know, all that kind of crazy stuff when you're doubting yourself. And uh, instead, they did what good football teams and good coaching staffs do, which is they buckled down. Got, got back to basics. I mean, you know, I think one of the interesting stories was Wyndham was a pretty good offense, only ran 10 plays in the Bedford side of the field wow. the entire game. And four of those plays came after a blocked punt. Yeah. Where, where possession was taken on the 39-yard line. And, and Wyndham never got inside the Bedford 20. I mean, that's, a, that's pretty special, right? You're talking about playoff football and playing defense and, and all that kind of stuff, especially coming back from taking a bloody nose against Merrimack the week before. Um, you, you know, it, it, it sort of it sort of ha- has you saying, hmm, I wonder if that was a bit of an anomaly and Bedford's ready to play some football now. They could be very dangerous. Yeah, and they'll, uh, they'll get a, uh, a rematch that I'm sure they're, they've been dying for since week one of the regular season uh, where they get to go to Nashua North. Um, they played uh, the, the opening night at Stellos with North getting a 19 to seven win in that one in a game that, you know, it felt like North had a bigger lead than that. Um, you know, but you know, that was a, you know, first game under, under head coach uh, Chad Zavolis. So I think there were still some kinks they were working out on the offense, um, but both teams played well defensively in that game. Uh, so that's that should be a fun one um, this Friday night, six thirty. You know, and then the um, the other uh, the closer game in Division One, you had Concord and Timberline, uh, which started out kind of like first. It started out like we were talking about with BG and Dover, uh, a turnover on the opening kickoff, where uh, Concord gets the ball back. Um, you know, a- after Timberline fumbles it and then scores, and then Timberlane turns around and scores. It looked like it was going to be a shootout early on as they're going back and forth, uh, and, and Concord had a 14-13 lead, um, you know, into the second quarter. And then, um, you know, Timberlane goes up on, on Dan Post's, I think it was his, what did he have, all three touchdowns for, for Timberlane, I believe? Uh, but he scored with two Yes, point, he did. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was his, it was kind of his return game. I yeah, kind of his his coming out, you know, like he's been. I think he's been back for a couple of weeks, but this is probably maybe the biggest game he's had uh, yet this year, um, you know. But scored the last one with two point six seconds left in the half, and uh, it was twenty fourteen Timberlane at halftime, and then that was it for the scoring. Um, you know, Concord had a touchdown called back on a, a holding penalty. Um, you know, they they opened the game with a touchdown from uh devon duncan uh he gets hurt on the play and doesn't return which is you know a huge loss for them just kind of takes you know another option away from them on offense you know guy that's that's played really well this year um you know so so more falls on on Ilya bahuma um you know in the rest of the conquered offense but you know another team like Wyndham, you know really great story this year glad to see Concord, you know bouncing back uh, from what had been a, a rough couple of years, um, I think first time in the playoffs since 2014. Um, so great to see them, you know, start to building something up out there. Um, 
not sure on on how their the breakdown is on their roster in terms of seniors, uh, but I feel like a lot of those guys that stood out this year might have been se- or were seniors. So hopefully they got a, a some depth coming back and and can you know carry this on into next year. I think they do have a lot of youth. I mean, even um, Bahuma's a junior. Um, I know they lose their quarterback, whose name I've mentioned many times on this. Uh, I can't remember his last name at this point. It's Ian something, I think. Uh, Um, He's a senior, and he's a very good player. Um, So they'll have to backfill him. But, yeah, I'm kind of bummed that that Concord's run comes to an end here. I I actually really was enjoying watching them and following them. uh, It's a little bit selfish. I would have liked to have seen um, Bahuma a little bit more in the playoffs because I think he's a special player. Um, but, uh, but, you know, hats off goes to Timberlane. I mean, this was, this was a good bounce back game for them, obviously. Um, and, uh, I am, I, I was happy to see, um, Dan post come back and have such a big game. Um, you know, he, he had torn some ligaments in his left knee, um, over a year ago, I think it was, it was, it was just as the playoffs were getting going, or it might've even been the last game of the season or the last week of the season. I can't remember whether it happened in practice or in a game. But I, I do understand that he left the game uh, late with a right knee injury. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm really hoping that he's okay because he had such a, he had such a big game. Because not only did he play uh, like a machine on offense, but he, he was a factor on defense for them as well from what I could see. Um, so having him back was probably, a, probably, I mean, obviously awesome for him, probably a huge boost emotionally for that Owls team that, that you know, kind of looks up to him and, He's one of the, the leaders and the stars on that team. Hopefully it was just a, a precautionary thing. They took him out, and uh, and hopefully he's back on the practice field this week for them because that, uh, that, that would be a tough story if that were the case. Yeah, and I, so obviously I don't think he played in that game, a regular season game against Exeter. So, yeah, that would be um, uh, a big boost, I think, for Timberlane um, going in if they had post for this game. I uh, just want to backtrack to the, uh, the Concord quarterback. That's uh, Zach Doward. Uh, Zach Doward, thank you. Yes, yeah. I mean, just a he, was, he had a great season too. Kind of a prototypical big, strong type of guy. Um, he was always fun to watch. They didn't lean on him as much as some of these other quarterback-centric teams do, but um, you know he'll be a place that he'll be a piece they have to replace. But I, I really think that um, Jim Corkum's done a really good job with them, though. You know, he's he sort of understands what they do well and what their identity needs to be, and he builds around that. He doesn't try to force feed a system. Um, and, and I think that's a mark of a good coach. I like that. I, I, I think uh, I think they're built well for the future. But um, again, hats off to Timberlane because I think that's that's really a good signature bounce back win, um, especially after last week's upset. I guess for lack of a better term, um, they came out and proved a point this week. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the D two game that you saw on Saturday. That's Sauhegan uh, Kennett. Uh, game that Sauhegan won, forty-nine to seven, kind of a uh, a throwback. Uh, I think you know matchup there to kind of the old uh, Division three, not quite the same rivalry as as Sauhegan Plymouth, but but certainly Kennett, uh, a team that that uh, the Sabers had battles with, um, you know, going way back. Um, but this one really didn't seem like there was much battling uh, to be done. Yeah, you know, I think it had the mark coming in of a. Uh you know, to use an old cliche of a trap game for Sauhegan, right? Sauhegan has been a a dominant football team this year, obviously, right? Uh, I I think one of the most skilled, explosive teams 
in the state. I, I've seen Division One. I've seen Division Two. You know, I mean, I think Sauhegan uh, could compete with any of these teams. Um, but it had the, it had a little bit of the makings of a trap game because, as I've mentioned uh, a few times on this show, I think if Sauhegan has one weakness, it might be their run defense. Uh, just just up front, you know, kind of tackle to tackle, how how well they handle kind of straight-ahead power run game. And that's something that Kennett does pretty well. I mean, they came in uh, running a lot of two-back, uh, you know, sort of power scheme type stuff, double-dive type stuff. And, uh, and and so you think to yourself, hey, you know what, if, if they are able to milk the clock and establish the line of scrimmage, this might be a football game. I'm, I'm not going to put my money on Kennett, but it might be an interesting football game. And I think the air was taken out of the stadium before a second had ticked off the clock. Uh, it was the, the stra- you, you mentioned the strange opening to the, the BG Dover game that you were at uh, later that day. Uh, I've never experienced an opening in football. All my years playing, all my years coaching, like what I saw at Sauhegan with Kennett kicking off and kicking the ball three times in a row out of bounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and ironically, almost directly to me, like if I, if I, if I wanted to drop my phone and catch the ball, I could have, it, it was like they were targeting me or something, but they, they kicked the ball three and so we can each time elected for a re-kick. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the athletes well, you have yeah. back there, why not? Right. Why but, not? Yeah. and the weird thing was there was a breeze, it was windy, but it wasn't windy enough to cause that kind of a disruption to the ball, right? So I don't know what was happening. But then on the fourth, so it took four kicks to start the game. Think about that. Um, and then the kid drills a ball straight down the middle of the field. Like, you know, if he had had another 15 yards on it, it might have been a field goal. Yeah. So he drills the ball straight down the middle of the field to like the seven yard line or something. So he can, the Sauhegan returners are like running back in shock to, <laughs> to go get it. So he can start their drive on the thirty. So again, all, already a weird cloud hanging over Kennett. They were they were Sauhegan's, Yeah, right. Kind of weird, right? So so Sauhegan ends up returning the ball out to uh, the thirty yard line. I mean, dead on the thirty. And they go four. They go empty out of the shotgun. Four wide receivers to the right, and they put Maddox McGrath, who I think is, uh, you know, I don't know what aspirations he has, but he's a college bound player he has to be he, he may be Sauhegan's best football player and that's saying a lot with J.J. Bright and um, Romy Jane on that team but um, and of course what does Sauhegan do they take a look you know Kenneth panics and throws everybody over on the side with four wide receivers leaving McGrath wide open one-on-one on the left and they just ran McGrath straight down the sideline he had three steps on his man boom 70-yard touchdown so that was how Sauhegan opened the game, which was sort of reminiscent of how they opened the Hanover, the regular season uh, week five or week six game against Hanover. You know, 70 yards, boom. So they three and out Kennett, get the ball back, and then they run J.J. Bright down the left side, 65-yard touchdown, next play. So, they've so Sauhegan had two run plays. two plays and accumulated – 135 yards of offense and scored two touchdowns. And I was like, wow, it's going to be one of those days. (laughs) So it was a very interesting open to that game. There were two more, two or three more kicks out of bounds, by the way, in that game. Uh, Kennett did come down after, after going down 14, nothing. They did march down the field and score. 
Um, they got a really good um, they got a really good drive out of uh, running back Sean Carrier there. Um, and, and so then it was, you know, then it's 14-7, and you're like, okay, maybe maybe Kennett will settle in now. Um, yeah, you've taken the opening punches. You had a long bus ride. You know, again, you get the air taken out of your, your tires a little bit with that weird inability to, to kick the ball in bounds to start the game. Um, but then it was just all Salhegan after that. I mean, I, I think Kennett never gave up. They tried mightily to stick with their game plan. They found some things here and there. Um uh, interestingly enough, out on the edges, um, they were able to get Carrier out in, into space, like running kind of like wide outside zone plays. But Sauhegan made some good defensive adjustments that you know that, that maybe lasted a series or two. And then Sauhegan said, "Yeah, we're gonna, you know, we're not gonna worry as much about getting right up on the slot receivers. We're gonna play run a little bit more here with our outside backers." And then, yeah, it was it it, it just ended up kind of snowballing after that. Yeah, well, but. What I will say is that I thought I thought Sauhegan's defense played much better uh, against the run. Um, you know, as I had mentioned before, that had been sort of a, a spotty point for them. And Kenneth's run offense was pretty good. I mean, they had a they had a big offensive line. Their running backs were big. I mean, they they had to be up in the one ninety range uh, and good, talented players. Um, but Sauhegan did a pretty good job of of. I thought reading and shutting them down um, where in the past, they've just sort of, they've sort of been out physical a little bit um, at times, right? Not often, but, but against really good running teams, they have been. And it looked like, it looked like they've really, they really kind of came to play uh, this week. So it was, uh, but yeah, it, it ended up being kind of a, kind of a blowout. Well, they'll, uh, that run defense will, will get put to the test uh, this coming weekend, you know, as, as, uh, they're headed up to face Gil- Guilford Belmont on Saturday in the semifinals. You know, Guilford uh, had that 24 nothing win over St. Thomas. It, and what was, you know, it's hard, tough to say it when a team wins by 24, but it was actually the closest game of the weekend uh, in, in Division II. Uh, you know, and, and Guilford Belmont got uh, big games from, uh, from Michael Keto, 120, or excuse me, 165 yards rushing on 24 carries. Uh, and I think a couple of touchdowns, and then uh, Isaiah Reese, 127 yards on 14 carries, um, and and um, yeah, that's going to be a, a you know from what it sounds like a bit of a challenge for the Sabers try to figure out how to stop those two guys uh, or you know Guilford's offense as a whole. And I know you were you had been asking a couple weeks ago, um, you know, what with with their history with the Guilford Belmont history. Um, you know, the, the, them getting the number one seed and all that. It actually, uh, from what the uh, the story in the Concord Monitor had this week, was it's the f- first time in the seven years that the two schools have co-opted. Um, so since Belmont joined Guilford, to I know Guilford had a program on its own before um, Belmont came in, but first time in those seven years that they've won a playoff game. Yep. Yeah, I read that too. Yeah, yeah so, uh, you know, Huge game. I, I mean, this is a game I think a lot of people have had circled and were ho- certainly me anyway were hoping would happen. Um, yeah, I, 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 I had a, I did get a look at them on film a little bit for the first time. I mean, I've seen like highlights and things of them, but it, it's hard to you know see as much on those type of films as, as what I was able to see this week. And um, I'll tell you what, Guilford Belmont's a good football team. They're, they've got a lot of size. I mean, they have a nose guard. I don't know 
the young man's name, but they have a, a guy that they play probably about 50 to 60% of the snaps on defense who in the film that I saw was about nine or 10 inches taller than the center that was trying to block him. <laughs> uh, he was a massive, massive kid. I mean, just what, uh, what his number was. I, I don't remember. I just remember, I actually remember showing my, my 11 year old son. I was like, Hey Colin, which one of these kids does not look like he belongs on this football field with these other players? I mean, it, it's it's almost funny to see how big this kid is. Um, but he he plays good though. He's a good player. He's able to do uh, you know do some damage against the run game. Um, Kiddo is is a big, bruising style running back, um, but he's got good feet. He almost reminds me a little bit of uh, Bahuma uh, in terms of the way that that he's built in the style of runner that he is. Um, and an interesting comment you made about Salhegan having to face that challenge. You know, the thing that I've, I've noticed, and it's not like I've seen, you know, seven or eight games of Salhegan this year, but I have seen them two or three times. And, and uh, I think Salhegan is built more, you know, regardless, I'm not so sure it's run game, pass game kind of thing. The under center, you know, sort of like two backs, multiple tight end type teams, I think that's more what they've struggled with this year than just not being able to stop the run. I think Sal Hegan is actually built a little bit more uh, naturally to stop sort of these sort of spread running teams where the quarterback features in and, uh, and things like that because they have the speed. You know, they have the athletes. If you're not going to line up with, you know, a fullback and a, and a tight end and a wing and all that kind of stuff and just bang away at Sal Hegan, I actually think the advantage goes more to Sal Hegan's side. Uh, in terms of the run defense, because if you're going to try to spread Salhegan out and create room for your, your running quarterback or whatever, they're extremely well coached on defense, uh, and they have the athletes to recover the speed in, in space. Whereas if you're trying to fight Salhegan in a phone booth, I think you have a better chance. So I think this is going to be a really, really interesting matchup for that reason and for others, right? I'm interested in seeing um, Isaiah versus Jane, for example, right? I think I think that uh, that's a matchup a lot of people have been looking forward to. Yeah, and, and I, the way that this breaks down, too, is I think is a lot of fun, too, where you have, you know, the top two seeds, obviously, Guilford, Belmont, and Pelham, hosting the next team from the other conference. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, Sauhegan being from the West, going to play Guilford, Belmont, and then Bo coming to play Pelham. Uh, Pelham with, a, a, like we said at the start, a 63-14 win over Plymouth was 42 to 14 at halftime uh just you know a, a crazy amount of points there um can't imagine there are too many times in the history of uh Plymouth football where they've had 60 points put up on them um you know Jake Travis had a touchdown um oh where's it? Ethan Demons uh Dom Hurling Jake Cothran Alex Carroll all scored touchdowns um you know, uh, Jake uh, Ciula, I think I'm, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, had one as well. Stephen Harvey returned a fumble for a touchdown for Pelham, um, which is just, I mean, you would think with that many being scored, you'd have a couple of guys with uh, with multiple touchdowns across the board. But, you know, it looks like they spread it out pretty well. Yeah, I, I think Pelham's that good. Um I, I won't say who, but a Division Two coach that I keep in touch with, quite honestly, just said Pelham's next level. 
Um, and, and again, you know, I, I've, I've only seen them play once this year. They're not a fancy team, um, but man, are they physical, right? When I saw them against Sauhegan, their offensive and defensive lines just dominated. And nobody else can say that about Sauhegan this year. Um, you know, Sauhegan might have taken a bloody nose for a quarter here or, you know, quote unquote, like I've been saying, struggled against the run, which really meant the only hope the other team had was actually running the ball because, you know, because that was sort of the only weakness, quote unquote, that Sauhegan showed. But I mean, Pelham's, I think Pelham's that good. And, and as we've been saying, sort of peaking at the right time, too. Um, I know Plymouth was young this year. I saw them a couple times on film. Um, they're good. But, you know, I, I, I think Pelham's really good. Um, that, I think that score is indicative of how, how far ahead of some of these teams they really are. Maybe more of a, a down year for Plymouth, which you know, it was ridiculous to say when they make the playoffs, <laughs> yes. you know, or one of the best eight teams in division two when they're in the playoffs. Uh, but that kind of is, you know, and they're out in the first round, which, you know, I guess that is more of a down year for, for Plymouth. Um, you know, and then, and Pelham will be, uh, will be hosting uh, Bo, which uh, shut out Hanover 32, nothing uh, Bo's seventh win in a row. And, uh, and during that stretch, uh, they haven't allowed more than 10 points in a game. Um, you know, they first uh, five turnovers against Hanover, one of which uh, a fumble return for uh, Canyon Batchelder uh, in the fourth quarter to, to round out the scoring. Um, you know, it just sounds like a, a complete win for, for the Falcons. They uh, they threw for a touchdown on the third play of the their opening drive, um, you know, ran for a couple more, and it just, um, you know, as much as as we're joking here about you know how one sided these first these uh, quarterfinal games were in Division Two, I think that that means that that these two games these two semifinals they just set up for um, you know a, a couple of really good games. I would be I'd be more surprised if any of these either of these two games is uh, is decided like one of these uh, quarterfinal games was like a you know couple touchdown difference. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I agree with you. I'm. I'm. I was also kind of surprised at the at the overall result of the the Bow Hanover game. You know, I Hanover. I, I had seen earlier this year. I was pretty impressed with them. I, I thought that if there was going to be a weakness for Hanover, it might be their depth. Um, in other words, they had a really good uh, starting eleven. You know, it wasn't clear to me what they had behind those guys if they started to get banged up a little bit, et cetera. It, it sounded like, um, I, I don't remember the young man's name who was the, who was the starter, the starting quarterback for, um, for Hanover, but it sounded uh, like Roger he Lucas. did not play in this game. So, um, you know, Hanover was without their, you know, their, their QB one, so to speak, um, which again, you know, I mean, it's, it's one guy, you've got to kind of recover from that and, and still put something together. But, um, you know, I think what it sets up this week in Division Two is is some really interesting matchups. We we talk about, um, you know, we talk about contrasting styles a lot. Where you've got the two sort of ground and pound meat grinder teams, which are Bo and uh, and um, Alum facing off on one side of it, and you've got uh, you've got Sauhegan and Guilford Belmont who are uh, you know feature 
really gifted quarterbacks, uh, a lot of speed, a lot of, uh, you know, sort of spread it out type of philosophy uh, playing in that other game that we've talked about. So that's, those are, those are two really interesting matchups. Yeah, it's uh, Roger Lucas was the uh, the handover quarterback, but yeah, he did not play. Looks like Tanner Longmore uh, got the right. Yeah, it was it was Longmore um, who I, I I think had come in um, for. Um, did you say Lucas is his name? Yeah, Lucas, Roger Lucas. Yes. Yeah, who had come in for him when he he got banged up a little bit in the Sauhegan game and played well, but you know, again, I think I think uh, anytime as we said earlier in the show, right? Anytime you lose your starter for a playoff game uh, at the quarterback position that, that even if, even if it's not physically, it just sort of emotionally takes a little bit of a toll on you. So, yeah, that'll be uh Sauhegan Guilford Belmont and Hanel, or excuse me, Bo, Bo Pelham uh, in the semifinals in D2. Uh, in D3, we had, uh, I guess, probably the surprise of the week, um, you know, with Campbell going out to Monadnock and reversing what happened uh you know, in the regular season, you know, when they played in the regular season, you had uh, Monadnock getting a 52 to eight win at Campbell in a game there where uh, Jack Lorenz ran for 361 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, it completely flipped the script in this script in this one. This one, it was uh, Campbell's Scott Hirschberger rushing for uh, 276 yards and five touchdowns. While Monadnock uh, Lorenz had just eight yards total rushing for uh, for the Huskies. Uh, wow! Yeah, it was uh, thirty-four to seven Campbell um, going into the third quarter. Just um, yeah, you know, a, a remarkable uh, turnaround for for the Cougars. Um, that uh, you know, I I mean, again, if you had told me this one was going to be that Campbell was going to win a close game, I probably wouldn't have been surprised. I think. You know, there was, um, you know, obviously Monadnock had a little bit of uh, the element of surprise there. I think Lorenz hadn't really carried the ball as much as he had before that game. Um, you know, so there was that kind of wore down the Campbell defense. I think, you know, had given a full week to prepare for that. You know, this makes a difference. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, hats off to Campbell for, for getting that win um, and, and getting back to the championship game in Division Three. Where they'll face uh, Trinity, which was a uh, winner over Interlakes Moultonboro, um, thirty-eight to fourteen in the other semifinal. Yeah, that was I. I, I was really kind of shocked by that, to be honest with you. I, you know, but Hershberger has been a rising star for yeah, Campbell this year. Um, I would suspect that part of what uh, Campbell's practice schedule was like for this week was we're going to sit the defense in the film room every day and just show them <laughs> film of Lorenz running us over yeah. <laughs> and saying, is this what you want to have happen again? Right. I didn't think so. Yeah. All right. So here's what we're going to do this week. Right. <laughs> Cause I mean, seriously, sometimes you got to have that sort of, uh, that sort of psychological, you know, you, you get that, you get geared up for that anger, you know, that, that sort of, Hey, we were embarrassed by this last time. You know, so how is that going to motivate us to not let that happen again? I mean, it's pretty clear. You take a guy that rushed for over 350 yards the first time around, and you hold him to under 10 yards rushing the second time, that they spent considerable time and effort, probably not just schematically, but psychologically, getting ready for that. To say, hey, you know, they might come at us, they might, they might even beat us, but they're not going to beat us pounding that kid at us, you know, play after play after play for 350 yards. So, 
hats off to Campbell's, you know, defensive coaching staff, their defensive players, um, the and, and and really the psychological um, advantage that it takes to do that. Yeah. Right. To to actually look at that and say, hey, we can do better than that. We can change that outcome. We don't have to sit here and hold, hang our heads and say, oh man, that kid whooped us last time. Um, so I think that's a I think that's a huge deal for Campbell. Um, but it's all order ahead for next week because, as we know, uh, Trinity is very very good and and uh, played uh, you know again an, a complete game against uh, Interlakes this week. Yeah, they get out to uh, Trinity gets out to a fourteen nothing lead in the first three minutes. Um, touchdown run by uh, I'm, I'm going to attempt to say this uh, Anthony Digian Tommaso. Um, you know, with a touchdown. I had practiced that so many times, and you just you just pulled it from me, Joe. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get this right. Digian <laughs> uh, Tommaso, yes. Sixty-five <laughs> uh, yard touchdown. Freshman. Run. A fresh, yeah, freshman running back. Sixty-five yard touchdown yep. run on the first play of the game. Um, you know, Paul Tebow comes up with an interception on Interlakes Morton Burroughs, uh, I think third play of the game, or, or excuse me, second play, their second play from scrimmage, and then Jack Service gets a rushing touchdown to make it fourteen nothing. Um, you know, it's twenty four to six at halftime, and and I think you know from there, like a lot of games for Trinity this year, maybe they a little bit in cruise control in the second half and just just pull away uh, from that one. Um, you know, the Lakers did get 171 yards and a touchdown from T.J. Bailey. Um, so he had a big day, uh, you know, getting some rushing yards on uh, against the Pioneers. So uh, it sets up a championship game that, um, you know, you look at the regular season and these two teams, uh, you know, played probably – it was certainly Trinity's – uh, the most points they've allowed all year. They they won 36-22, but I feel like for three quarters, that game was a little bit of a track meet, a lot of back and forth um, between the two before uh, the Pioneers pulled away in the fourth quarter. So um, I think this is going to be a, a very, very good uh, matchup for the Division Three championship game on Saturday. Yeah, I think so, too. I was... I You know, it was another one of those... It was kind of kind of hearkening back to my recap of how the... Sauhegan uh, Kennett game started minus the the kicking game curiosities. Um, it was a fast start for Trinity. Uh, it sounded like uh, Interlakes Moultonboro responded uh, with a touchdown, but then Trinity came right back and punched him in the face again, and 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 that that sort of set the tone for what ended up being, like you said, a little bit of a, a cruise control effort for the rest of it. I, I think there were some penalties that hurt Trinity at times, but um, I think that's been relatively uncharacteristic of them. Um, I think if coach Cathcart can, you know, at, at this phase of the season, right, you're, you're, you're trying to eke out that extra one or 2% from your team, right. And you're not, you're not making any massive changes at this point. So uh, if they can focus on playing clean, um, you know, playing good run defense and, and so on and so forth, it, it should be a very, very good battle uh, this week. So as of- oh, Joe, where does that get played? Is that, is that, neutral site or is that yeah that's uh, gonna um, be at that is uh scheduled right now for Sauhegan on saturday uh, okay that's the one that's gonna be at Sauhegan. um i think it had said uh time to be determined but as of right now uh it's saying one o'clock now on uh, the nhia website no official word has been sent out uh as of <laughs> when we're recording this but certainly keep uh 
you know, check, yeah, keep just checking uh, with your schools if you're going to that game, or uh, I will have it updated on nh-highschoolsports.com as soon as I find out for sure. Um, but yeah, that looks like a 1 o'clock start Saturday at Sauhegan, uh, which uh, it will also be a 1 o'clock start at Laconia for the Division uh, 4 final. Uh, that, of course, between number one, Summersworth, number two, Newport. Um, I, you know, I, I, I guess you could say no real surprise here, I think, you know, that this is the championship game, uh, given how the regular season turned out. Um, Summersworth dominant in a 56-7 win over Raymond uh, on Saturday. Um, you know, that one, I think, I think Summersworth had 40 points in the first half, over 40 in the first half. Um yeah, 49 nothing going into halftime. So just a, a dominant performance by them. And then, of course, Newport, um, you know, getting a 35-14 uh, win over Bishop Brady. Um, you know, Bishop Brady, another nice story, seeing them get back into the playoffs. I know they've had a couple of coaching changes over the last few years. Um, you know, it seems like they always struggle with numbers. Um, but nice to see, you know, them getting into this spot and, and just a, a tough – you know, tough task trying to knock off, uh, you know, a team with uh, with the kind of experience that Newport has had over the years. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, actually. If there was any, like, really great story coming out of there, it, it was it was Bishop Brady making that final push, um, you know, even though they, they went um, one and two over the last three weeks of the season. You know, the two losses they had were to Newport and Summersworth, Um so to, to, to kind of get in at that last moment there and, and uh, make the playoffs again, uh, especially considering the ups and downs they've had over the last, the last uh, three or four years, uh, pretty good story. Like you said, I, 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 I'm sure that it didn't turn out the way they wanted it against uh, Newport, of course, but um, you got to feel pretty good about the trajectory of your program there. Absolutely. Um, well, Newport got in that game, uh, you know, big day from uh, – from Tyler Gobin, 225 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Kyle Ashley added 97 yards uh, rushing in that game. And uh, Eric Wilkinson had 45. So big day on the ground. They got out to – Newport got out to a 21-0 lead in the first half. Uh, just, uh, you know, tough to come back from that. Uh, Todd Shepard had a nice game for Bishop Brady, throwing uh, for 179 yards and both touchdowns, but also with two interceptions. Um you know, he's just a junior, so, you know, looks like he'll be back for the Giants next year and, and always a good place to start having your uh, your quarterback returning. Yeah, and, and at the right time, if Newport's found, um, you know, found that kind of diversity and success in the running game, because you look at this, the performance of the Summersworth defense this season has been as good as any in the history, I think, of, of NHIA teams. I mean, they've only given up over seven points to one team all season. That was going all the way back to uh, their second game against Mescoma Valley where they won 49-14. to 14. And, you know, I, I don't have the details on that game. For all you know, it was a, you know, it was a kind of a garbage time touchdown or something that put Mescoma Valley over. I, I don't know that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so if, if Newport's found, uh, you know, found uh, something on the ground there with uh, – with some of those backs that you quoted there and, and having big games against a pretty good defense at, 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 um, at Brady, they're, they're going to need it because Summersworth defense has been like historical lights out this year. 
Well, you know, we, we were talking about some odd starts uh, with games here, and I don't know, how about this one? Well, last last game to talk about here with Summersworth and Raymond, and how's this for an odd start? Raymond opens the game with an onside kick, recovers it, has the ball at, at the 45, Summersworth 45-yard line, uh, runs 10 plays, turns it over on downs, and on the next play, Calvin Lambert goes 72 yards for a touchdown for Summersworth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, another another some more trickery in the kicking game to, to start off a game uh, that just doesn't uh, unfortunately doesn't pan out. But um, you know, tough. I mean, that's that's I you know in a game like that, I mean, uh, kudos to to Raymond for for starting the game that way to having the I guess the guts to open the game. Uh, you know, because I mean, those are the kind of plays that you're going to need to make against a team as as uh, dominant as Summersworth. Yeah, it's like you said, very similar to the. Uh the approach that Dover took at BG, you know, but, but also kind of similar results, right? You get this huge rush of adrenaline. It worked, you know, we, we rolled the dice and it paid off, but then it doesn't pay off in points. And then you immediately get punched in the face by the other team. You know, it's like, Oh, you know, you, you go through all that prep and all that risk and, and, and sort of getting psyched out to do something like that to start the game. And it, it, it actually doesn't amount to points. And then, you very quickly are down seven nothing. It's uh, it's a very emotional uh, thing to get over, I think sometimes, and it's it's that's part of the risk. So how about you? You like stats, right? You're a good you're a stat guy. Yeah, sure. How, how about this? Uh, so Lambert finished the game with 109 yards and two touchdowns on two carries. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and for this is this is per uh, per Seacoast Online. Uh, he, for the season, he's got in in now eight games a uh, thousand and fifteen yards on forty eight carries. Uh, according uh, to their math, that's twenty one yards an attempt. That's insane. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, those are those are. Where, where is that one being played this weekend? That game is at Laconia. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's I'm. Yeah, I, I don't know if anyone could hear the, uh, the the angst in my voice there when reading the start times. But initially, we had heard that that the D three and D four games were going to kick off at uh, at staggered times to allow folks to maybe go to both games. But now it looks like they're both going to be one o'clock kickoff. So uh, a little frustrating. Um, you know, if we're not going to have the games at the same place, then uh, then you know that would have been a nice help to, uh, to you know yeah. to those of us well, that like to cover the games. Um, but. Well, let's not give up hope quite yet. You know, there's uh, there's still, you know, I think there were some late-breaking changes last week for Friday night or different times. So, you know, hey, let's see what happens. But, uh, yeah, that's a bummer because obviously geographically, given the choice between if, if I was going to watch a, a D3 or D4 game, you know, do, do I go over to Amherst and, and watch the game at South Egan or do I go up to Laconia? I'd, I'd probably have to choose the yeah. the former as opposed to the latter, I'm, but it would be it would be interesting it. to see that D four game, or you know, um, the opportunity to see one of the Division two uh, semis, you know, that are also kicking off at one. Um, you know, that's a bit, yeah. a bit frustrating. Actually, I mean, so yeah, yeah. we've got there are. I mean, sorry, I'm going to count these real quick again. We got what four D one games, two D two, and then one each, and three and four. So, what we've got eight games this weekend. Yep. Two of them are being played on Friday in Division One, and the other six are all kicking off at one o'clock on Saturday. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we as I like to say, Joe, tis the season, right? We talk about this every year. You you, you can't uh, you can't clone yourself, unfortunately. Um, no. So yeah, you gotta you, you end up making some really tough emotional choices yeah, on you hey, you know, yeah. Can't clone yourself, and the powers that be don't want to seem to do us any favors. So yeah, that's right. frustrating. Uh, you know what? I one thing before we wrap up, though, uh, I want to mention too. Uh, I meant to do this when we were talking about Division One, and and it slipped my mind. Uh, but I wanted to just read off the scores too. For uh, this was the first year. I don't know if many people realize this because it was not anywhere on the NHIA's website. Um, you know that they were. They also had uh, four games between the teams that didn't make the playoffs uh, in Division One. Um, you know, so you had a. Uh, um, yeah, Winnicott played Central, got a twenty-four to fourteen win in that game. Uh, Keene played yep. Memorial. Keene beat them uh, twenty-three to twenty. Nashua South went to Salem, played Salem, came out with a forty-two to twenty-six win. And Alvern, uh, with a fifty-five to thirty-four win over Goffstown in uh, in that game. Those th- those four games were all played on Friday night. Um, for Alvern, I believe that's their first win in Division One since back before they moved down to Division Two, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong on that, uh, but it's it's certainly been the, their first win uh, in, in a couple of years at the very least. Yeah, yeah, no, congratulations to Alvin. Hopefully that gives them a little bit of a springboard for uh, their off-season program and, and getting kids interested in coming out. Um, you know, you, you never want to see a team down for too long. It's just, you know, it's not, it's not what you want to see. It's not good for the program. It's not good for the... It's not good for the league, right? So um, you hope that uh, for and for Gosstown as well, right? I know that they had a, an uncharacteristically very, very difficult season, but they were young. And I think what you hope there is that those guys, you know, kind of keep it together. Understand that, yeah, we took our lumps this year, but you know, we could if we work really hard in the off season, we could come back and you know think of all the experience we're bringing back to the field next year. Right. Um, you we want both of those teams to be to be improved next year. Yeah. All right, well, uh, Mike, unless you got any final thoughts, I think that'll wrap it up for this week. No, I don't. I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to figure out where I'm going. Uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed the heck out of being able to get to a couple games this week, and uh, unless something unusual happens, I plan on repeating that same uh, that same plan this coming weekend. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'll see you out somewhere. Uh, if not, we'll. Uh, I'm sure we'll be texting uh, like uh, like teenagers throughout the game. Uh, yep. <laughs> All right, well, that'll that'll wrap us up for this week. Uh, he is Mike Lockman. I'm Joe Marcellina. Mike, thanks again for doing this. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoy the games this weekend, and we will talk to you again next week.